0: I think there are there three things that really, like, drive the excitement of cons for me. Nope, there's probably more than that. Nope, there's three. I won't even count. up. Live from the Mundangerous Vendor Hall in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan, And welcome to episode 149 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode,
1: we're hopping in the car and driving four hours to play games for a couple of days with strangers, as we discuss gaming conventions. But first, the enemies of the Rogue Traders show themselves in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Heavens Above, Hells Below walks a fine line in the Character Creation Forge
0: so i think we've talked about it in the past but this is probably the first formal announcement we will be at gen con this year august 2nd through 5th
1: dun 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 so if you have your tickets you should probably cancel them
0: right yeah no they are significantly less valuable now that we're attending mm-hmm. we intend to ruin all of your panels right <laughs> by asking really really <laughs> insipid questions <laughs> how do you handle cocked dice? i need a new backstory for my drow <laughs> how can i get a panther companion
1: it's fine to date people in my gaming group yes <laughs> i should just keep asking them out
0: was that is that the right way to do this hello what is what is the right amount of deodorant to apply on a daily basis and why is it less than zero <laughs> why must i shower
1: <laughs> oh we're gonna have such a great pa- speaking of which we we are thinking
0: about uh hosting a panel
1: yeah maybe we could answer all these these questions and more
0: (laughs) hopefully none of these
1: questions and more (laughs) (laughs) all right so gen con is august 2nd through 5th in indianapolis hopefully we will see some of you there just like we did last year
0: yep and uh if you are going feel free to drop us a line on twitter send us an email whatever it is we uh we do have a busy schedule but uh we always try to make time to meet up with people so uh if you are around let us know uh we would love to say hello I will say, uh, we did meet some listeners last year. We have not seen them again.
1: I do not think that is a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) All right, speaking of chasing people away. Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign?
0: So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajak, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the Fallen Dark Angel Lord Cipher. The party split because we're dumb. Yep, your Seneschal tricks and your Astropath flare are outside the walls of the fortress in a tunnel, cut off, a collapsed tunnel, cut off from the rest of the Rogue Traders, and the remainder of you are inside the uh, Verza House led by Echo and Draco, desperately trying to resecure it as you have found that there are as yet unexplored areas uh, still remaining.
1: Echo, being that she is uh, the bookworm with no social skills, right. has pieced together that all of the different maps that we have of this place aren't wrong, they're just all from different time periods. Stretching back into, well, ancient history, as this location was built modified destroyed and expanded over multiple centuries right
0: and as you are making uh making your way through trying to find these locations that have not yet been mapped uh you receive an urgent vox from major barrow as you recall roth's uh rival road trader captain duhan roth's emissary his uh his signal of peace and cooperation for you guys uh, that you have assigned to keep watch in the upper casements.
1: Look, we have treated this guy very well, I will say.
0: You have, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he is up there keeping watch as he was assigned, and he spots troop formations from the far side of the valley. Out in the wasteland? Out in the wasteland, seemingly marching towards the Versa House. Super awesome. So we
1: rush to the top of the casements to get a look. Uh, Trank... Is also able to spot tricks and flare, uh, and their small squad down on the valley side,
0: and an ambush, waiting for them. Mm. So there's a few hundred meters between the party in the tunnel uh, and the Versa House itself. You know the the relative safety that if they could reach the fortress, and of course there is a, a veritable army marching um, from the far side of the valley towards them. So they're kind of getting squeezed on both sides.
1: All right, so the only way for this small party to make it out of here is for us on the casement somehow to create a diversion
0: so that they can make a run for it. Now, you look around, you think of what could you do to create a diversion. In your hands are las guns. (laughs) I like guns. Guns are good. (laughs) They make noise. They sometimes hurt people when you shoot them.
1: So we lay down some cover fire. Trank, who is a sniper, lines up his opening shot. And he feels a calm hand on his shoulder, and hears a soft voice of encouragement. He recognizes it as Captain Severin. So he buries a pulse round in one of the attacker's skulls, and turns to see Severin's smiling face congratulating him. And Severin turns away, leaves the casement, and disappears down the hallway. Trank realizes someone in the upper casements has begun the Company Six battle chant.
0: Now, this is a bit strange, because Captain Severin, of course, died eight years ago, before the Versa House, on the Death World Krathis Three.
1: Yay! Awesome! Also ghosts! But and you know what, look, the ghosts are on our side, that's cool. They seem to be. I mean, except for the old dame. Oh, right. She's she, trying to kill tricks. She may not be a ghost, who knows? I'm gonna go with not a ghost. <laughs> I'm gonna go with... I don't know, demon-haunting tricks because he deserves it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A psychic projection of Trix's suppressed conscience. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week we are
1: talking about gaming conventions, by which, of course, Shane, we mean tropes, right? That's what
0: we're talking about, you know, the same old stuff that you always see in games all the time. No, we're not. We're talking about gatherings of nerds. ostensibly to play games full of tropes full of tropes okay all right good gaming conventions for gaming full of conventions perfect i mean it is convention season it is starting yeah so it feels like convention season used to be like three months from origins to gen con like Like, june to august and now it's like all year round yeah there's packs what east and west and and prime (laughs) Right, <laughs> and unplugged pax soul and pax universal uh, yeah. <laughs> pax imperialis yeah every like tri-state area has at least its own con these days oh yeah i mean and and major regional cons right things like orca con in the northwest like they're getting the draw of like people flying into a regional convention now it's mm-hmm. it's kind of absurd actually yeah Thrillicon which is small but growing right growing Mm -hmm. up to it's now up to eight people (laughs) that's two years in a row it's been eight people
1: (laughs) there are also cons that are gaming
0: adjacent like DragonCon in what's that Atlanta that's in Atlanta yeah but which is a a long-running like comic and cosplay kind of con that that went on um, in Atlanta that then like has pivoted into gaming because it's always been sort of gaming adjacent. Mm
1: -hmm. And, you know, of course, the uh, cons that are in the larger public consciousness, you know, San Diego Comic Con, New York Comic Con, things like that uh, are increasing the amount of RPG content or adjacent content um, at the conventions.
0: Right. And then, you know, like Toy Fair and stuff like that more around like the entertainment like toy space are pulling board games in more than ever as well so everything is converging to mean cons are like every month if you want them and that's just in the u.s that's not even leaving to go to europe and oh, like to lord you know
1: so they're every month if you want them shane do you want them oh i do oh i want the bad yeah you're like hungry hungry hippo with the cons you're like <laughs> ah blah, 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 blah. yeah that's me <laughs> <laughs> So, why do you like to go? Because you, let's be honest, have a bit more con experience than I do. And I, I, by that, I mean shell games. Right? Yeah, I've been mm-hmm. running long cons for a long time. That's right. You are a street magician, my friend.
0: I, I am. I am <laughs> the uh, I am the David Blaine of Chris Angeling. <laughs> yeah. So there are things that make me love going to cons. Uh, the first is the opportunity to try new things. There's new games. There's new GMs. There's new new groups and new players.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite things is you often get some kind of preview of a game that has yet to be published. Or sometimes you can even playtest it before it comes out.
0: Yeah, so like, uh, for example, like the, the new 40k line um, from Ulysses is coming out at Gen Con, but it's being previewed at Origins. So if you're at Origins, you have a chance to play Wrath and Glory um, that you just can't get anywhere else. Um, it's also an opportunity to demo a game that you haven't played, right? So so for example, we played Knights Black Agents for the first time at Gen Con uh, last year. Even though it was already a, a few years old, we just you know, didn't have a group to play it with. Um, but we're interested in the concept, so we went and checked it out. Then a few months later at PAX Unplugged, I bought the game <laughs> and, and asked Ken Hite to sign it for me.
1: Yeah, this is a really nice way to try before you buy. Um, you know, if you if we hadn't been able to preview it at a convention, then I think it would have been, you know, through word of mouth, someone was like, hey, this is a really good game. And we we're like, okay, great, we'll add it to the list. And then it would have to get to the point where one of us is like, I have an extra $70 burning a hole in my pocket and I'm just going to take a gamble.
0: Right, and, and hope that I can get it to our table because so many games that we buy never see light of day.
1: And then maybe everyone hates it.
0: Right. Um, the flip side is... I have games that I never get to play with our group because it doesn't really interest our group that I can run at a con because people will sign up for them.
1: Yeah. And it exposes you to uh, different GMing or play styles. I think uh, one of the strengths of our home group is that lots of different people GM. We play lots of different games, and those result in, well, those kind of result in different styles. But honestly, as a group, we have a pretty solid, consistent style. Right. Yeah. but particularly if you have a gaming group that plays either one system or like the same campaign uh, and has one GM, it's a really nice way to sample other different GM styles. If you are the perpetual GM who's always stuck doing that, it's really nice to have someone run a game for you and also watch other people GM and get new ideas. Right. Because games aren't played the same everywhere. I mean, they're played best here.
0: Right, at your own table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: maybe worst worst that's the word i'm looking for that's the word we do it's worst worst here we're the worst players (laughs) that's it
0: um and i think this was probably more prevalent you know before the internet and and certainly before like streaming games right where you had sort of the ability to listen to other people play and and build a community that was talking about that but um you five years ago that was less common and and going to a convention was really the only way to to learn how other people run their games, right? How what it's actually like in practice to um, you know, see how does Keith Baker run Eberron? How does he run Phoenix Dawn Command? Pretty well, it
1: turns out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>
0: huh. Weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, and even these days, keep in mind, like if you're watching a lot of actual plays or people who are streaming it's likely that, one, there's either a bunch of editing,
0: uh, or, two, that they are playing the game for the audience. They're, they're performing, right? Which is not the same way as simply playing.
1: Yeah, it's a very different beast to be at a table with someone and, like, watch them roll dice and watch their face as they come up with something or respond to the players um, in the
0: moment. Right.
1: Uh, you did mention Keith Baker. Uh, at conventions, you also get to meet your heroes.
0: Yeah, if if you are as unfortunate as I am, as to make gaming industry people your heroes, (laughs) yeah, like um, our fans, sorry, (laughs) right. Um, But you know, like it, it's amazing that in a convention of even like you know sixty thousand people, like Gen Con, there's still an opportunity to get actual FaceTime and shake the hands or, or meet you know very big names in gaming, right? Like. You know, Mike Merles, Jeremy Crawford are there, like the, the guys who who are responsible for D D now. Um, you know, Robin D. Laws, Ken Height, they're always at those at big conventions. Um, Chris Pramus from Green Ronin. Like the people who design and make the games that you play that you've heard of are just walking around. You know, sometimes like we were walking down the hallway and it was like, oh, there goes Matt Mercer. <laughs> like, by the way, that guy's like pretty popular. <laughs> um, Monty Cook's right there. You can touch him.
1: I mean, you shouldn't because that's inappropriate, right. but you could because right. he's right there.
0: Just gawk, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I did that to you the first year you went to Gen Con where like we would just be walking down the hallway and I was like, oh, that was Monty Cook. And you're like, what the hell, man? I don't know any of these people's faces. Right.
1: All right? I've only seen their names. Okay? Right. <laughs> there are also a ton of cosplayers, typically, which is awesome because some of the effort that these costumes take is insanely impressive. What was it? Two years ago, we got a, a nice shot of two women dressed as Sororitas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. And we had like the most amazing uh, bolters, bolt guns.
0: Yeah. And the year before that, there was a, a great night that Jim and I got a picture with. Oh, that's was great. Terminator armor, <laughs> which, is, which is, turns out, doesn't matter if you're not an eight foot tall Marine, it's still gigantic. <laughs>
1: Gen Con has fewer cosplayers than I think a lot of other conventions, but I think that's because it. You know, I think people are like,
0: I'm here to sit down probably eat nachos and roll dice. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of travel involved for Gen Con too. Cause it's in the middle of nowhere, but don't forget the Gen Con has the cosplay parade. We just always use that as our excuse to go to the Ram while everyone else is at the parade. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Um, but you know, it's, it's another, uh, another group of people that you can actually see and recognize like streamers and other performers, um, You know, I, I know that Matt Mercer and, and some of the Critical Role people were like had their like meet and greet sessions. Um, a lot of different shows will have like meetups at bars or, you know, hotel lobbies or whatever it is to kind of like, hey, here's a chance to go meet people who like this thing that I like and also meet the creators of that thing.
1: Now, all that said, there is one group of content creators that you really want to avoid at
0: conventions podcasters yeah they're the worst they are terrible Mm -hmm. they will only let you down they look nothing like what you expect uh and their voices are always worse in person
1: oh yeah absolutely you know i have a feeling most of these people are using auto-tune oh yeah i'm well i'm auto-tuning you know that that's
0: how i get that's how i get my voice so deep (laughs) it's not that deep that's how i get it so (laughs) deep
1: that's why my voice sounds like this (laughs) because you're editing this episode (laughs)
0: also you learn that you know we really do work off of a script (laughs) yeah huh they weren't witty right not that the show is witty no but they were somehow less
1: i mean besides us the other podcasters are actually pretty cool
0: yeah all the podcasters we've met we've been impressed with it's just we have never impressed anybody
1: yeah well there was that one group that we won't mention by name but you know who you are they know yeah they're awful
0: they know Um, Okay, but seriously, another big thing and uh, potentially one of the problems with cons is merchandise. You will spend money uh, if you are not careful buying stuff, uh, especially at the bigger cons that have like exclusive releases and and things like that um, or early access. You know, like a lot of games debut at Gen Con um, like a few months or weeks before they show up in game stores. Like if you want to get the newest book uh, first, come with some cash in your pocket.
1: Or maybe don't have any cash in your pocket so that you need to go figure out a way to get cash before you just spend it all.
0: Yeah, or, yeah, that was my problem a couple years ago. was like, I didn't find any games that I really wanted to buy, but I did find $50 dice, so I definitely bought $50 (laughs) dice. Yeah, but didn't you buy them from Colonel Luzaki? I did buy them from Colonel Luzaki. (laughs) So I think it was worth it. So I met your hero. (laughs) (laughs) Did he spend 20 minutes explaining to you how a Navy SEAL rolled these dice? Uh, He did. (laughs) And then about... The next time I came back to the booth, I heard him telling the exact same spiel to the next guy. It was uh, great. Uh, mm. It is also a lot of times a great way to track down some obscure or out-of-print games um, or you know, talk to the publishers who have them. Um, a lot of times they might not have one there, but like um, I know there's, there's stories of publishers, especially smaller publishers, just having stock in a warehouse that they don't really advertise and don't have anything to do with and it's like hey do you still have a copy of like the black company ogl rpg that got written back in like 2001 yes great can i buy it from you somehow take my money do
1: you still have uh an old let's say mint condition copy of the second edition birthright rules player secrets of torn <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know that seems like a straight Wait, yes you do
0: uh shut up and take my money <laughs> <laughs> Which is what Jim should have done, right? Uh, but yeah, so you can you can also find like out of print games or used games a lot of times they'll have like game stores or resellers are there as well with older stuff categorized and cataloged so that you can find it.
1: yeah, this is definitely the time when I suggest sort of jumping on a, a deal or you know uh, an old out of print book that let's be honest, chances are it'll be a while before it surfaces again. Mm-hmm. I would just say, go ahead and get it and then you can really um reserve your cash or be a little more careful with like many of the new releases
0: because those are definitely going to be available for years right um and then a lot of people talk about this I've actually never stuck around to take advantage of it but at big shows like Gen Con, a lot of times on Sunday, vendors are cutting pretty deep discounts on their inventory.
1: Yeah, like whatever the last day of the convention is, and Gen Con, it's always a Sunday,
0: right? Because they 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 usually bring in a lot of inventory for the show. They expect to sell a certain amount of it, and they don't want to pay to pack and ship and store it. So they want it to be gone. <laughs> they would they would save money by not having to ship it home. So they'll sell it at a discount
1: yes you'll be the person hanging around outside the panera at seven thirty, waiting for them to be like uh do you just want a bag of bagels
0: right <laughs> and you're like oh no i could yes yes i would that's why i'm here i, I will say it is unlikely that you're going to get a sunday deal on a new release like uh if you were expecting to wait till sunday to pick up starfinder <laughs> like good <laughs> luck <laughs> right you had to wait in line for four hours like everyone else right on thursday morning
1: All right, so one of the big reasons that I go to conventions is so that I can play new kinds of games with new people who I don't know because I hate all of you people that I play with normally. So what do people who haven't done this before, what do you need to know about playing a convention game?
0: Yeah, so let's just go through the process. So first you're going to sign up for the game. Like typically cons have some sort of registration process. (laughs) Good cons do. Uh, Every con except packs unplugged. (laughs) Um, But especially for RPGs, I think it's important. Like a lot of times if you're looking for board games, you can finally, you can kind of find pickup groups that are pretty easy because board games are shorter generally. Um, but if you're going to commit three or four hours to a game, like an RPG, it's good to register and just have a set start and finish time.
1: Yeah, and they also usually do that so that the person running the game knows that, okay, I'll have this many players. How many do I need to prep this session for? Right. You know, do I have four? Do I have six or eight?
0: Right. So so that's true. It's typically going to be four to eight players. Uh, we'll say con games tend to run a little on the large side, and I rarely does the GM like... You know, sometimes somebody has one ticket and shows up with a friend hoping there's an empty seat, that sort of thing.
1: Sometimes there's a no-show. It, it it happens, ha- yeah. yeah.
0: So so sometimes you end up with a bigger game than you expect, but it's it it's usually fine. And then typically they'll, like most games at a convention, they expect to teach the game to players. So if you've never played Night's Black Agents, they'll give you a quick rundown of the rules, right? If you've never played D&D, they'll kind of walk you through your character sheet.
1: Yeah, even if everyone has, they'll probably do that because they've prepped for this. Right. And a lot of times people are running, especially if you're like working for a company, you know, like Green Ronin is running a module. It'll be the same person running the same module all day, like six times. Yeah, they'll have
0: just volunteers brought there to to run them.
1: Right. So like they'll go through the spiel.
0: So then the next thing is you show up at the game. Um, Usually you're not expected to bring more than dice and a pencil.
1: And your imagination.
0: Yeah, and a good attitude. Um, but occasionally, you know, like certain games will will ask that you do something in advance or bring a like a certain level character. Um, I see that less often at big cons like Gen Con and more often at smaller cons where it's not like a company representative that's running the game, but it's maybe somebody who has like a... A module that they're writing or you know just kind of had an idea for an adventure and wants to run it for a group
1: yeah or it'll be like you know a high level adventure and we'll say you know be an advanced player who knows what they're doing come with like a 15th level character with these parameters right and those will actually usually be
0: like and at six dollars you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you better want to be here <laughs> So then, once you show up, you'll usually do character selection, so I would say probably 90% of games, maybe even more, use pre-gens at conventions, so they'll usually lay them out on the table, give kind of a brief overview of like what each character is and does and what they mean, um, and then people will just sort of pick what interests them or, you know, I'm interested in these two, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and it's usually a larger selection than the number of players that you have. You know, it's not usually, okay, four players here Four characters, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, if no one wants to be the cleric, guess what, sucks for you. Right, yeah. It's usually, okay, we don't have to play with these others. Everyone can be something they want to be.
0: Right. Um, There might be a couple choices to make on the character sheet, something like personality traits or, like, a couple questions to answer about the character, you know, Background or, or something like that to give you a little bit of personalization, but generally they're mechanically built characters. Um, the only exception is if like character creation is is a big part of the game and it's relatively quick. Sometimes you'll go through character creation sort of in the first like twenty minutes.
1: Yeah, if you're playing something like Powered by the Apocalypse, um, you know you select like your build and. You know, what, what's your hair and what kind of clothes? And then, you know, you make the two selections right. um, at character creation, you're good to go because you've been handed a playbook.
0: Yeah. You pick a name and go, right? Um, or like Fiasco, you can't really pre-gen characters for Fiasco. You're going to spend a few minutes making your character.
1: All right. So once you're playing, don't be timid about this. I mean, keep in mind, you've got probably like a four-hour time limit. Uh, and there's the teaching and the getting used to other people at the table. Um, you you got to start moving through these things pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, and, and it can be easy with a group of strangers to just like fall out of the spotlight and never get a chance to really do a whole lot. You know, like hopefully the GM is aware and is trying to include everybody. But if not, it's it can be difficult if you're not willing to step forward.
1: Yeah, uh, take a look at your character and figure out why is it that they are with the group. And remember, this isn't a long running gaming group. People don't know what your character's strengths are, so you need to make them apparent, either by just saying it or by attempting to do something pretty early on.
0: Right. Then I think it's also important to read the table. Um, Make sure that you're playing and matching the tone of the game. You know, is it wacky and silly? Is it grim and serious? You know, make sure that you're not causing, like, kind of a dissonance by the way that you're playing.
1: Yeah, hopefully that's already been explained by the person running the game, but, you know, you'll get a sense for it pretty quickly and also depending on the personalities of the other people who happen to be at the table. Right. You know, because everyone has different role-playing styles. Some people, you know, do very first-person. You know, I am doing this, or, um, you know, Eldorath uh, walks up and, you know, presents himself to the king uh, versus... Uh, here's what my character is going to do. And let me just describe it in, you know,
0: pretty basic language. Yeah, there's also, like, the, you know, I narrate, like, ducking and dipping and diving through combat so that I can get, you know... Oh, you two- forgot dodge. Oh, I dodged through combat. You got hit with a wrench. Oh, dang it. Well, anyway, you know, like, and then I'm, I struck against his shield, and then he counters me, but then I managed to, like, stab him through the thigh, right? Or... Some players will just say, cool, I move to this space and I attack the Minotaur.
1: Just go with it. You know, um, it ends up being that way at a lot of uh, tables anyway. You know, so if people are having fun doing it, go for it. And if you want to try to match someone else's style, that's also
0: great. Right. Um, and then also, I think one thing that comes up a decent amount is sort of the... Sort of spectrum of like method acting to the collaborative writer's room kind of approach to role play, where you know certain people are one hundred percent in character the entire time and and other people are just like casual observers of a game loosely controlling their character as it's being written,
1: yeah, in my anecdotal experience, I think con games tend to lean more toward um the latter, you know people tend not to be completely in character the entire time. I don't know, unless you're playing White Wolf.
0: I, yeah, I think it it depends. Like, um, I think it, it depends how much people at the table know each other or know their styles, right? Like, um, I've played games, like even big games with like eight people um, at uh, at a catacon, where like everybody didn't know each other, but we all knew who each other were, right? Because it happened to be like a group of podcasters and like sorry, yeah, <laughs> and like people who were involved in like different podcasting communities that people knew right so everyone kind of had an idea of what their style was and it was run by darcy ross from um from monica games so everyone knew what her style was and so everyone was like very into character immediately right and like and it was wacky and silly and fun um whereas like other games where people don't know each other as well they're maybe a little more hesitant to kind of go for one of the polls. (laughs) You know, they're kind of just more in the middle where they can kind of ease in.
1: Mm -hmm. And you can have a mix at the table. You know, like you said, sometimes people will bring a friend, but sometimes three people who know each other will sign up for the same game and then the fourth slot is just filled with one rando.
0: Or, you know, six people who know each other will sign up for a game Mm -hmm. and there's one random person and then you're desperately trying to bring them into the fold because you feel awkward. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, like two years ago, um, you got sick one day. So I went to a game and the rest of the table was a bunch of dudes you knew each other. Like they're all in the same home gaming group. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, my job is to figure out a way to like integrate into this group. Right. So that, you know,
0: we get along and can accomplish something, but also so that I have any fun. Right. So on that note, uh, I think it's important to share the spotlight. And I like to do that by like... When we're doing character selection or creation or whatever it is, I like look to the person to my left and my right and I figure out like some bond for my character to their character so that at any point I can always say, hey, remember that thing that we did in that place? Like, don't you have a thought about that? And I can always pull somebody else in.
1: Yeah, this is nice to remember if you are in the majority of people who know each other but also if you just happen to be a more outgoing person or maybe you have more role playing experience than you know some newbies at the table make the effort to involve an, at least one other person in the majority of actions that you're doing Yeah, um, and keep that in mind when you're making decisions like really try not to split the party because that makes it much more difficult for everyone to get involved um, try not to like hog the spotlight a lot of uh, games have um sort of very set parameters on what each character is very good at. So, if you are the hacker and you're excellent at that and no one else has any hacking skills, great, hack. Do your thing. Be awesome at it. Try not to make the solution to every single problem that you hack.
0: Right. But you can still be involved by like, you know, interjecting your character's perspective of, "Hey, doesn't this person know something about how to solve this?" Like, "I'm I'm just the hacker, but I feel like that guy is really good at blowing stuff up. Yeah, or why don't I hack schematics so that you can blow stuff up? Right. So it's always good to have that kind of, like, partnership, that thick-of-thieves kind of relationship, because then you're not you're not just a, an outcast in the group. You're assimilated, right?
1: Yeah. And remember, this this is the best time to have good gaming etiquette. So pick up the plot hooks. Your GM is going to put them down. Uh, they've put them down multiple times, probably, for other people, and they really just want you to pick them up so they can so they can bring you along in a story.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a one-shot. It's not the first session of a long-running campaign. You don't need to, like, set some broad direction for everybody. Like, you are here to do the game that you agreed to. Go into the dungeon and kill the kobolds. Like, this, this adventure is called Stomp the Kobolds. Go stomp them.
1: Yeah, show up uh, with your character already having bought into the adventure. Right.
0: Um, and I, I think like frankly it's kind of rude if you're not doing that right like you've signed up for the wrong game if you're rejecting the premise at the beginning
1: I thought this game was malcontent drow
0: <laughs> it's, it's just the emo drow <laughs> and the sad poetry of the lonely
1: I dance in the moonlight so do I but <laughs> separately
0: this is a great game guys
1: this is perfect this is exactly what, what I signed what I up, up for,
0: for. All right, so let's turn this around. Uh, you've maybe played in a con game. How about running a con game? Like You know how to GM, but how do you GM for a convention? You should probably make sure that people know that you're running a game. Yeah, advertise the game. So if you've got a registration system, put your game in there. If it's a less formal convention, then you know, reach out to people who are going and plan a time and a place to run the game.
1: Yeah, be very clear and upfront about what the game is including. Like, you don't want to fool people into playing the game. You want people who understand what you're going to be doing and are super into it. Yeah. Like, do you, I think in our play by post episode, we talked about the big sixteen. It doesn't need to be that detailed, but you know, it'll give you a good idea of the kind of information people want before they sign up for a game with people who they don't know anything about.
0: Yeah. And I mean, they're only committing to three or four hours, so just give it a good pitch for what the plot will be make sure they know the system and level that you're going to be playing in and you know maybe what level of experience they have uh and i would always encourage you to be more welcoming of new and inexperienced players versus requiring expertise
1: i mean that is always my excuse when people hate things it's only three or four hours right (laughs)
0: So I think just from a table management perspective as a GM, it's also important to bring all the stuff that you need or that the players will need in advance. So pre-gen characters, extra dice, extra pencils. Uh, I think nameplates are a really good idea. Oh, please bring nameplates.
1: Because one of the best ways to get into character is to be able to refer to everyone else by their character name. But it takes you out of it to be like, wait, what's your name again? I do not remember what your name is. I wish I could see it somewhere.
0: Yeah, so just... A stack of note cards fold them over and write on on it with a sharpie it is the easiest thing in the world and it it just makes everything a little bit smoother at the table
1: i actually am not interested in the game at knowing another player's name you know give me your character's name great and then afterward we exchange info or business cards or whatever chat or like we grab some food or something we can talk real names
0: yeah that's that's actually a funny thing like multiple times i've not known somebody's name at a table and then i learned it afterwards and i was like huh I didn't have you pegged as Orion, <laughs> or
1: ah, oh, I know who you are. I didn't know that I knew who you are. Oh, that's the other one. Yeah, like oh, you guys are from that show. Oh, you're huh. from that show. You mm. wrote that book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you wrote the book that we're running. Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Huh. Okay. You're not on the jacket cover. Yeah,
0: it was pretty funny. All
1: right. Once people have selected uh, their characters, go around the table and have them introduce themselves. It can be really helpful if you include a prompt question, you know, um, tell us who your character is, uh, make sure you include, like, race and class, Uh, what was the proudest moment of their life?
0: Yeah, or, you know, uh, tailor the question to the type of game you're running, but but something that makes them think uh, as their character very briefly, but unimportantly.
1: Yeah, another one that works really nicely is, you know, tell me some relationship or bond you have with one of these other characters.
0: Yeah. Or another good one is, uh, what is a secret that you um, have not revealed to the rest of the group?
1: Yeah, that's a nice way to immediately get into the dramatic irony. Right. They don't know I'm a drow.
0: <laughs> yeah, great. Stop, get out, get out. <laughs> I, I dye my hair. <laughs> um, speaking of drow, uh, I think it's also important to set the like social contract and, and if nothing else, then make sure that players are aware of like the x card so that they feel empowered to speak up if they're not comfortable for some reason um it's just a like a quick sentence at the beginning of the game just lets people know that if you're if you're not happy with this like please say something
1: yeah or you know point at the card in the middle of the table no explanation necessary right and we move on
0: so once you start your adventure, uh, I always like to start in media race. It's just easier to skip the opening scene of meeting in a tavern and wasting 20 minutes with, you know, will they or won't they get in a stupid bar fight? Like, if it's a dungeon crawl, start the game at the entrance of the dungeon. If it's a mystery, start them with their first clue. Give them a reason that they're already assembled together and a group.
1: Right. So there you are on the job. Here's where things
0: go wrong. Right. And then from there, it's important to keep the game moving. Um, if players seem lost, if they're not getting a detail, if, if they've sort of seemed to be drifting about, uh, just narrate them forward to a point that they do understand. Because you've only got a few hours of this game. Like, you don't want them to get stuck on some unimportant detail.
1: Yeah, we talked about this recently in Failing Forward. Um, just narrate them forward. And, you know, if players are can't figure out what it is that they're supposed to be doing in order to get the information that they need, just describe how they know that, you know? Okay, I searched this place. Well, you don't find anything there, so you assume that maybe you should be searching the basement instead. And there you find blah, blah,
0: blah. And this also works if you're running out of time, right? Like, there's only 35 minutes left in this game. I know that I need 30 minutes for the boss fight. So rather than going through the three rooms that are still remaining, I'll just say, like, you guys clear these rooms. Here's what you experience in them. And you come to to a large chamber in which sits the dragon.
1: Yeah, this is all part of making sure that you keep it moving. You've got maximum four hours, and that is hi how are you hey someone's coming late hold on a second wait i've got to go to the bathroom hold on i want to grab a drink all of that needs to happen within four hours because there's a schedule probably there's
0: another game right after this or there's some panel that someone has to go to or someone has to get lunch like because they only have 30 minutes before their next session you know so this is actually a good time where railroading is okay yeah as long as you push the the train along the track that the players were laying down anyway you're in good shape just keep them moving forward at the most exciting pace possible
1: yeah and this kind of goes hand in hand with like players pick up those plot hooks you know if you are doing that in the proper way then it's not going to feel like railroading because you're going down the obvious path yeah you should be going down the obvious path not looking for ways to like pick it apart
0: right and this is like you know early on you can you can run into these problems where you've got like you've cleared the first room the monsters are down cool I loot the monsters great you find these things Uh, I, I search the room Okay, I rolled low. Um, okay, I, now I want to search the room for secret doors. Okay, but tell me about the chandelier. Is there anything valuable in it? And what about that desk? Is there any secret compartments? Like, how about you say no? Like, you have searched up and down in this room. You have found everything that you think there is to find. What do you do next?
1: Right, you were very thorough. Down the next hall. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then make sure that all of this work that people are doing, all of the investment that they've put into these characters for your game ends up being worthwhile make sure your session has a conclusion
0: yeah i mean uh, i think it was the angry gm who said that a con game is three hours at an ending and really the ending is all you sign up for in a con game is you want a, a great finishing moment you want to be left with that last taste of the game was triumphant or you know hollow or tragic <laughs> or <laughs> whatever, a whatever, twist, anything. Right, whatever the intended outcome is, it's an outcome that's worth remembering and repeating. That's the excitement of a con game.
1: Yeah, it's the whole reason you're doing all of this
0: work for, of the setup and guiding the players through so what like you know endings any ending is fine right you just want to make and even if it's not the intended ending you just want to make sure that it's it's an ending that sends them home feeling good so they defeat the dragon and take its loot or they fall tragically and the super villain enacts its dire plot
1: it turns out they've been dead the whole time
0: (laughs) right (laughs) on the inside (laughs) tell me about it I have been there yeah. I mean and and you don't have to worry about scope, right? Because it's uh it's just a one shot anyway. So you can in a one shot in a con game, you can completely delete Nazis from the time stream and fix all of history. No problem. You did it because you know what? Who cares? There's no there's no next session.
1: Yeah, maybe it turns out the aliens weakness was water. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 wait, what about the village is in the present.
0: Oh, darn, that was gonna be my lot <laughs> twist. Uh you're a superhero? Uh me? No. Absolutely not. So that's the twist. That's the twist, yeah. yeah. You
1: just you just don't know because you've never had someone try to murder you. Or have you? I mean you should have.
0: Something something lady in the
1: water. If life is fair, then you will have. Yes, whatever it is, make it cool.
0: Or whatever the group finds cool, make it
1: so. There you go. We finally made it to the surface. Right. <laughs> Are we accepted? Uh, no. Mm, no, definitely not. Mm-mm, everyone hates you. No, I, actually,
0: so, so talking about that, so we played a game at uh, Gen Con two years ago uh, with with Rich Howard, and it was his Star Wars adventure that he's run a few times. Um, And we had spent so much time at the front making like it it was basically like an underwater um, research base that we had to infiltrate as like uh, a team of rebel operatives, like kill everybody on it and figure out what was going on with this research station. And we never got to like the very deepest depths of the adventure. Like we spent all of our time on the assault
1: oh yeah we were presented with a beanie opportunity and
0: we said okay okay, hold on let's get the spreadsheet let's let's both break and enter (laughs) and who cares what we find on the other side so like we ended up having a great adventure and like a super fun attack um that left us no time to actually conclude and and at the end of it it was like fine like the session was great we didn't actually need to get to the original premise to enjoy it so rich just kind of gave us the information that we would have had at the end had we not spent three hours trying to um, attack a underwater research station from the side entrance <laughs> yeah
1: and i'm pretty sure he was like oh and it blows up it's right. amazing right it's just it's such a huge explosion it's really intense and we're like yeah okay yeah, <laughs> all right milk <laughs> it was I, also like that group was also uh, James Indracasa and Rudy Basso yeah and uh, we met them
0: for the first time yeah and uh, Michael Ross from the RPG Academy. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah, and that that is why we were like okay hold on we're gonna do this the right way
0: right <laughs> <laughs> and also we had um, uh, Rich's nephew oh yeah uh, who we made the star of the show oh yeah he's great so I think the last and probably most important pitch for gaming conventions is the people who go there right like the fun of a gaming convention is being in the same place for a few days with people who are just as excited and interested in your hobby as you are
1: yeah so maybe try talking to them i mean like once on time
0: <laughs> yeah I, it, it seems to me like everybody at conventions is super friendly right like i think the the type of person who is drawn to being a little bit out of their comfort zone and and going to a gaming con to play games with strangers is naturally going to be somebody who is open to being approached and is friendly and like wants to meet new people who share something in common.
1: So really what do you have to lose? Cause you're never going to see these people again.
0: Right. I mean, unless you see them on Twitter the next week.
1: Crap. Yeah. Uh Oh,
0: um, that was kind of a funny thing last year at Gen Con though, because Starfinder was released and uh, everybody who got a copy of it was carrying it around or like reading it in common spaces. And you could pretty much talk to anybody at the con by saying, Hey man, how do you like Starfinder? <laughs> like anything good in there? And it was just like an an immediate icebreaker. Maybe we should have gotten a copy. Um, well, maybe
1: Nah, it's fine. I hang along without it. I can still walk up to people and say, Hey. How do you like Starfinder? (laughs) One year later. (laughs) It works in bars.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're both married, so we have no idea what works in bars.
1: (laughs) I'm just trying to make friends with these iBankers. Right.
0: (laughs) Maybe they'll buy me drinks. Starfinder is my tech startup. (laughs) Found one. And another one. And another one. We build telescopes. 3D printed telescopes. Right. But it's an app. We monetize the user data. Now you've lost me. <laughs> okay. Uh, on that note, do you hear that, Ishan? Is that the sound of monetized user data? I, I always know exactly what that sounds like. All right. So we're going to need some more users because we got to scale up. So let's move on to the character creation forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at carne. That's Malice minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast.
1: You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at
0: www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. So this week in the character creation forge, we are building heavens above, hells below.
1: Shane, shouldn't that be heaven above? Shouldn't that be heaven above? Uh, we should definitely hell below? be heaven
0: above above. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Shouldn't that be heaven above, hell below? Uh maybe, but not if you want to set this in the blood war. Oh D and D's cosmology. The heavens above, the nine hells the nine below. below. Yeah. Nice. Um so this is, the, the concept of this character is that they have like a divine side and a fiendish side. This is a gimmick build. This is totally a gimmick build. Yeah. All right, so what is it? Well, so it was inspired by uh, something that we read in Morning Canaan's Tome of Foes, uh, which was the Archfiend Zariel, who is an angel, who, a celestial, who was tasked with monitoring the Blood War. Got bored. Uh, got well felt that the celestials should be involved in it and could do some good for like all of creation by involving themselves in it uh and then proceeded to fall and became a devil
1: so there are some options for tiefling subrace stats uh each one tied to a different archdevil and there's one for zariel plus two charisma plus one strength and you get searing smite and branding
0: smite Which is going to be super helpful because the build is Devotion Paladin 11, Fiend Warlock 9.
1: Oh, am I good? Am I evil? Who am I
0: even? Right. so devotion paladin 11 is going to get us uh, what we usually want from devotion we're going to get smite we're going to get auras we're going to get extra attack at fifth level um at level 11 we get the improved divine smite which just gives us an extra d8 damage per hit you get all those nice
1: holy abilities all those spells keeping people alive protecting people yeah Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. curing diseases but you got a dark side too because we are going to take fiend warlock nine, and naturally we'll take back to the chain so we can get a cool imp familiar.
1: Uh, yeah, because you need a devil on your shoulder, right? And mm, oh, you could find Steed a celestial, uh, so you can have an angel on the other shoulder. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Um. So fiend warlock will get us expanded spells. They're all fire themed, which means they're great for dealing damage. But also fittingly, you get the hallow spell, which also unhallows. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think that's why fiends get it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not bound by fiendishness. <laughs> you'll get Dark One's Blessing, which
1: gives you temp HP on a kill, which is great for a melee character.
0: You'll also get Dark One's luck, which lets you add a d10 to a save or ability check.
1: you also get five different invocations. Now, some of these are going to be obvious picks. Devil Sight, uh, which lets you see in darkness, and of course, as a warlock, you'll be able to cast darkness. So, hey, hey oh, uh, You'll get Beguiling Influence. Now, note... You have two sides to yourself. You are a black and white cookie. From your angelic side, you get persuasion. And from your fiendish side, you get deception.
0: Then you'll get fiendish vigor, which gives you false life at will.
1: And then rounding this off, sign of ill omen, which lets you cast bestow curse. You know, the good guys and the bad guys curse.
0: And then lastly, you'll get whispers of the grave, which is just perfect because it gives you speak with dead at will. And given that you have both... Heavens above and hells below, it doesn't matter where their soul goes in its final resting, you can still speak with them. So, Ishan, who is your heavens above, hells below?
1: Well, in keeping with our mordenkainen's Tome of Foes theme, my heavens above, hells below is aspiring to be a member of the circle of eight, someone who keeps the balance and The reason that she is so interested in the balance is because it is so apparent within her. She has this uh, divine uh, fiendish connection to Zariel, who is herself um, a dual-natured being. And so she sees that uh, there needs to be more good in the world, and so she strives to become uh, an emblem of all that is holy and righteous. At the same time, she understands that if you stray too far in that direction, the balance is thrown off sometimes, There needs to be more darkness in the world. And I like to think that she starts off as a a paladin because that balances out the tiefling right off the bat. And then after maybe, you know, uh, a few years as a paladin, uh, has that that epiphany about the balance and realizes, you know what I really need? I really need a bit of fiendish help. I know some people. I'm a tiefling. I'm going to make a pact with Zariel. Uh, mechanically, I would actually play this where, at that point, once you get up to even in Warlock and Paladin, it would be one 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 one. one This build, the way we have it, actually is 11-9. I would actually wait till I'm at 9-9, and then, depending on where the character has gone in their arc, decide if we're going to end up 10-10, or if we're just going to, at the very end, lean into one or the other.
0: What about your build? So as usual, uh, I would play this in the opposite direction. So my Heavens Above, Hells Below will start out as a warlock, um, you know, an an agent of perhaps Zariel, perhaps some other uh, devil, but um, a double agent, right? Someone who uses that power uh, for her own purposes rather than loyalty to the fiend who granted it, um, and then would end up, turns out that that proves pretty useful for a divine order and actually becomes a paladin later, um, sort of as a special agent, if you will, sort of the, like just a, a a dip in the dark side, kind of the, uh, the, the wet worker of, uh, of a paladin's order, you know, um, gathers a little intelligence from the other side, that sort of thing. So, Similarly, I mean, I think you you probably like get to like five and five and then you start just going up one or the other um, kind of keeping them in balance because they're proving useful to both sides while trying to maintain their own, I guess, freedom or independence of like these two very demanding like forces on either side, you know, a paladin order and and divinity versus uh, you know, a, a contractually binding devil
1: this uh, this build is very much like an expanded universe Jedi oh I fall into the dark side oh I'm, I'm good again yeah. <laughs> oh the dark side again oh wait that looks like a really great ability on the light side I guess I'm good again Okay, go grab that one yep
0: <laughs> <laughs> but force lightning would be dope <laughs> <laughs> alright before we wrap up we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And while you're there, you can check out the Character Creation Forge Codex, which contains a spreadsheet, a listing of every single build we have ever done in the Character Creation Forge.
1: Hey, that's also where we've got the fifth anime listed for you. Um, No patronage necessary because we owed you
0: one because we didn't do one during the Mordenkainen's review. And you can find a link to that in the show notes. So, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about Power Creep. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Power Creeper. I don't really phoned it in on that one. <laughs> you just wait. That's it for episode 149 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.